It's time for JT the Brick. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. Back joint for Branch, a saver in the end zone. Branch leaping catch. Touchdown, Raiders! Coach, I can beat my guy deep. I said, Cliff, we haven't even played it down yet. How do you, how do you even know who your guy is? The guy was just a nightmare to cover. He said it verbally. You're not going to cover me. You either have it or you don't have it. Well, Cliff had it. JT the Brick. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. If that guy was playing today, he would blow the top off the record book. Talked about the big bad Raiders, and here we had to hide. We had to pray Cliff Branch out there. He was 155 pounds. He's a Hall of Famer. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. What a big day today. JT with you, the passing of Bill Russell. We'll get to that later on this hour as Brian Scalabrini will join us. Looking forward to that conversation. Stephen A. Smith. When he called in to me last night, I think you're going to love hearing what he had to say on that topic, too. And we're looking to hear from you because he was a big part of the Raider Nation, Bill Russell. But the Deshaun Watson decision today of six games has changed everything now. And now the NFL has that topic that we've been waiting all summer long for. And I've always thought it was going to be a year. And then we started to get a feel that it would be less than that over the last, last couple of weeks here. And Judge Robinson And her decision comes down with the opportunity for Roger Goodell to appeal. And we'll see what he does. No one has covered this story more in-depth than Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk, period. And it was a busy morning and day. And, Mike, we appreciate a few minutes. Let's start with the decision of six games. Were you shocked by this? What did you expect from the beginning over the last couple of weeks when it felt like it was going down? Well, I would have been shocked by it if I wasn't paying attention to it every single day over the past several weeks because – Before the hearing began in front of Judge Robinson, it really felt like things were lining up in a very negative way against Sean Watson when you had 24 cases, the HBO Real Sports feature, the New York Times report of 66 different women who had been utilized by Deshaun Watson for private massages over a 17-month period, two more lawsuits that were filed against him in late June and early July, or late May and early June, excuse me, but, but then once the hearing started and we started to hear some of the things that were happening, some of the things that weren't happening, only four accusers were the focal point of the presentation by the NFL. There was a fifth one, but the evidence from her was based on a media report, and the judge politely declined to consider that. That's not real evidence. That's like asking a judge to read the newspaper instead of putting your case on. So she peeled that one off, but she considered four of them, and uh, – and ultimately came to the conclusion that even though Deshaun Watson did what he's accused of doing, the league was using a very aggressive interpretation of the personal conduct policy Mm -hmm. and trying to impose significant punishment for nonviolent sexual assault. And she regarded that as too dramatic of a change in the rules and a change in the circumstances and declined to give the NFL the kind of significant punishment it was looking for and went with six games instead. And that kind of fit with what we were hearing. No evidence of violence, no evidence of, of the kind of thing that you would ordinarily regard as sexual assault, that it was more coincidental touching effort to try to turn a massage into a sexual encounter. So uh, she crafted that, that decision, and it's a lot less than what the NFL wanted. And now the NFL has to decide whether to appeal to the NFL's commissioner 
for an effort to try to get a stronger punishment, and that's what we're going to wait to find out over the next few days. Mike Florio is our guest. Mike, as you wrote in your summation here, for starters, one thing that seemed very significant is that Judge Robinson concluded in the most tactful way possible that Watson didn't tell the truth when testifying. We are talking about a nonviolent sexual assault, something that the NFL really has never covered in their history, and the fact that if he lied while he was testifying, we're supposed to set a precedent here going forward for decades to come if something similar to this happens again and only six games is revolting to female fans and a lot of fans around the league. Well, the fact that he was basically... I don't want to say caught lying. Look, plenty of people deny strongly the allegations made against them, but it's not the truth. And he's been, from day one, on the rare occasions that he's spoken to the media about this, he's uttered the categorical denial. He had the talking points back in late March when he was introduced as the new quarterback of the Browns after the trade. I never harassed anyone. I never disrespected anyone. I never assaulted anyone. He just kept resorting to that whenever he was backed into a corner. But the judge found that the other evidence suggested that that his categorical denial was not believable, that it was not credible. And she was very tactful. She didn't say he's failing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but that's the import of it. It kind of reminds me of the, the Tom Brady wrinkle back from 2015 when the league found he destroyed his phone. That was a mm-hmm. big deal to the league. And I just can't help but wonder if the NFL appeals to the commissioner that the commissioner really seizes on that and explains to everyone that this is what she's really saying here. She's saying that he entered into this process and he was given an opportunity to tell his story and he told a story that doesn't mesh with reality. And that in and of itself is troubling, regardless of what the underlying context is. The context is troubling enough, but when you have a guy in a situation like this and you expect him to tell the truth and he doesn't, that's the kind of thing that I think is going to piss the commissioner off. And I think that one fact makes it more likely the league exercises its right to appeal and the commissioner swoops in with a stronger punishment of Deshaun Watson. Well, Mike, walk us through that. Mike Florio's our guest. So I, I agree with you. I think the appeal is coming. They have three days. Assuming Roger comes in and he comes with a firmer punishment at where the NFLPA initially said that they would not have an issue they wouldn't appeal here. What's the number that could push the NFLPA and the Watson camp to say, hey, no, 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 we're going to take this to federal court. We don't agree with that. Well, I think if he would get suspended for a year or maybe more than 12 games, they will try to go to federal court. I just don't think federal court's going to work because of what happened in the Brady case and with Ezekiel Elliott. We saw efforts by the NFLPA to challenge the outcome in court. And the end result was and is that – if the NFL basically wins the race to the courthouse and files a lawsuit in federal court in New York City seeking what they call a declaratory judgment, that they applied their policy the right way, and if they're under that umbrella of the appeals court in the federal system that has jurisdiction over New York City, I think they're going to be fine because Brady's case was in that court, because Elliott's case ended up in that court after his camp tried to get a jump on the process and sue in Texas, and they were having success there until a judge said, no, wait a minute, you, you filed your lawsuit too early. And the NFL's got this thing rigged. They know when Roger Goodell issues his ruling. They, they, all they have to do is have the guy at the courthouse ready to file the lawsuit and just text him and say, go do it. And they're going to win that race. 
and they're going to have this in a good forum, and they're going to get a finding that this is appropriate. And, and think of it this way. The League and the Union agreed to this procedure, and they just tweaked it two years ago to have this procedure where Judge Robinson, independent disciplinary officer, handles the fact-finding and makes a preliminary decision, and then the commissioner has jurisdiction over the appeal. The union agreed to that. And if the union doesn't like the outcome of the application, well, the argument would be you shouldn't have agreed to it. And judges don't like to get involved when parties have come up with their own way of resolving these situations. So for those reasons, I, I think that no matter what the league does here, unless the league is very sloppy in its, in its crafting of a decision and what it relies upon, and I don't think it will do that. I think it has everything it needs to just take this and say, we respect the fact that you concluded six. We think it should be 17. And I think if Roger Goodell does that, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for Deshaun Watson to avoid it. Wrapping it up with Mike Florio. Mike, is an attorney, how much credit does Rusty Harden deserve to keep this out of the grand jury? This wasn't a criminal case in Houston. Tony Busby going forward. So Rusty Harden first, the role that he played here, if it ends up only being six to eight games. And then let me ask you about Deshaun Watson's agent. To fund the contract that way with all the guaranteed money, the long-term guaranteed money of the contract and the signing bonus, so it looks like the games he's missing is a slap on the wrist. It almost looks like Jimmy Haslam and the agent and everybody's a genius, and they won this and played it out beautifully in Cleveland. Well, Rusty Harden did a great job doing what he was primarily hired to do, which was keep Deshaun Watson out of jail. And he got brought into this thing after most of the damage was done. I think the real problem was when the first accuser, through Tony Busby, approached Deshaun Watson's agency with a demand for $100,000. And anytime anybody opens with $100,000, that means they're willing to settle between 50 and 75 because you don't, you don't open with your bottom line. You've got room to move. So they could have resolved this first one for 50 to 75,000. Instead, they refused to make an offer. They basically told Tony Busby to bid against himself, which is a cardinal sin in the practice of law. You never expect anyone to bid against themselves. And if you do, they rightly get pissed off. And that's what resulted in one becoming two, becoming three, becoming 24. And I, if, if they would have just, if they just would have paid the 100000 no questions asked, at the outset, think of all the heartache, the headache, the expense, that would have been avoided. Now he's settled 23 of the cases. He's got one left. He's been paying legal fees and criminal and civil actions for 16 months. I can't imagine what he has spent all because early on they decided not to take this seriously, even though Watson surely knew that he was engaged in a lifestyle and he had a habit slash fetish that was only going to get worse, not better, if they tried to ignore it. So Harden did his job. And they got a great contract for Deshaun Watson under the circumstances. And shame on the Browns, some would say, for doing that. But this whole thing could have been avoided. And it's a lesson to other athletes out there. And it happens all the time where a claim is made and they just get it resolved. Even if they disagree, mm-hmm. you get it resolved because it can become a much bigger mess if you don't. And any time in the future when an agent's trying to explain that to his client, he just needs to point to the Deshaun Watson case. And uh, I, I think it's case closed. Write the check. Have your reckoning with this person who's claiming wrongdoing and move on. Mike, last one. I know you're busy. I'll get to this. I've been really close and 
following and studying the Gruden emails and the whole scenario with Snyder and the yacht, which is fascinating as he goes from port to port and the private jets there and under oath and the subpoena that he didn't have to be on the subpoena, all of that and the calendar of Brian Flores and Stephen Ross and everything that's happening coming up next for the commissioner. Play this out for me quickly, how important this decision and appeal is for Roger before he's got to figure out what's going on with Gruden and other cases that are pending now and kind of button this up before the start of a great season ahead of us. Well, and, and look, if they throw the books to Sean Watson, it will, to some extent, highlight the existence of a double standard between players and owners, and that was one of the arguments made in Watson's case. Now, it ended up not being a centerpiece of Judge robinson's decision but you know the reality is you've got this claim made by flores against stephen ross that is kind of dying on the vine you've got the snyder thing where we still don't have any transparency as to what he did and why the punishment was imposed on him july 1 of last year they're still fighting that issue in front of congress and there's really no mechanism for anyone to force them to release that report, but just like they released the decision today, and I think they were trying not to. I think they were trying not to release the Deshaun Watson decision. I think it's important to have transparency. And so the, the more aggressively they punish Watson, I think the more problematic the double standard becomes, especially mm-hmm. if you know they go to federal court and the NFLPA makes a big issue of the fact that owners supposedly are held to a higher standard, and yet here's Deshaun Watson suspended for a year, and here's a long list of owners who either had very limited punishment or none whatsoever for violating the personal conduct policy. It's a great point. Absolutely great. Mike, fantastic job. Always appreciate your time. Hope the book's doing well. We lo- we're always looking at the site and Twitter, and I hope to have you on again soon when we get back from Canton. Thank you so much. Thank you, pal. You got it. Mike Florio. There he is. That's the biggest guest in radio today on that topic, period. That's the guy. We got him here on Raider Nation Radio. That guy knows more about this than anybody. Anybody sitting with a polo at an NFL training camp trying to make sure that they don't embarrass the company they work for. Okay, Mike Florio works for Sunday Night Football on NBC. That's the highest rated show in all of television, clearly in all the NFL. And he goes after all of this. It really is incredible what he does. I bring it up all the time, not to kiss his ass, but to remind you, He's a lawyer, he's a journalist, he's a talking head, he's an opinionated guy, and he gives his opinions. And the NFL's looking at him going, wow, that's the authority on all of this because he never stops covering it. Where other entities get lazy and they don't want to cover it. And I understand why. And what he said about the precedent going forward for the owners, what he, met, what, what he was saying there is Robert Kraft had an issue with video in a massage parlor. What he was doing on the day of a game as the Patriots were in Kansas City and we know what Robert Kraft was doing that day. And the fact that Robert Kraft is not in the same situation as Deshaun Watson, I don't think Robert Kraft should be because I don't think Robert Kraft went into that massage parlor and what he did was that I don't think he was going in with the mindset of nonviolent sexual assault. This is a recurring pattern for Deshaun Watson, nonviolent sexual assault. He made those women very uncomfortable many of those incidences ended very ugly where the women went and got an attorney they sued him in civil court 
that's different. So what Mike was indicating there is if the league goes back at Deshaun Watson and goes harder at him, the union's going to come back and say, well, whoa, whoa, wait wait a second. You give the owners more leniency than the players. Fair point. Fair point. Now every owner and every player knows what nonviolent sexual assault is. Everybody knows what domestic violence is. Everybody knows what drugs are. Everyone, unfortunately, knows what driving 156 miles an hour and getting in an accident and killing someone means. Everybody should now know what it means to get an Uber and a driver and don't drink and drive. Everybody knows the rules. If you get caught doing something, you're allowed. The weed is wide open now. Marijuana being legal, so no player is going to get in trouble for marijuana the way Josh Gordon did back in the day. But, you know, you got to be careful with it. You can't have bales of weed in your car transporting it over state lines. You'll be able to play in the league as long as you're not doing something completely reckless and haphazard. The personal conduct policy really doesn't affect 98% or 99% of the players in the league. They all have great conduct. They don't get in trouble. They do their job. They're family men. They come from good families. They're not getting in trouble. It's the isolated players that when they step out of line, we're fascinated by it. We're all sitting back saying, oh, my God, what happened? How could that happen? I'm a fan. I don't make that much money. How come he's getting in trouble? If that happened to me at work, I'd be fired. I wouldn't get my contract. I wouldn't be able to do certain things. And Deshaun Watson's going to be back here in week seven. I'm surprised by it. Am I furious about it? No, I was acting more furious two or three months ago. I'm really disappointed by the decision. I think it's been a mistake. But we'll see what happens in the appeals process. Thanks again to Mike Florio. Thanks again to Mike Florio for coming on, and A.J. Perez, and Fred Bolitnikoff. And coming up next, Brian Scalabrini on Bill Russell. Uh, Today, my focus of the show was Deshaun Watson because the news broke. The whole focus of sports radio should be exclusively on Bill Russell. Bill Russell, the greatest champion in American sports team history with 11 titles, all of his accomplishments, the Congressional Medal of Freedom. I've never seen reaction to so many people talking about this. I have a great relationship with Jim Brown, who was side-by-side with Bill Russell. So this is a topic I'm familiar with. What Russell had to deal with with race and racism was horrific. In the town that he played for him was winning championships. He's winning championships in Boston. There are empty seats. They're vandalizing his home. Russell does not show up for his jersey retirement ceremony because of the way the Boston fans treated him. But he still mentored a lot of young players, including Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, Kevin Garnett. So it's fascinating. And and I can't tell you the times, and I'll talk more about it, within the show that I'd be on the sidelines in Oakland before a game, either working, radio, TV sidelines, but just being there and being allowed on the sidelines, and I'd look up and Joe Morgan and Bill Russell would be there. Joe was great. Man, Joe and Bill Russell and how tight they were to Al Davis to come onto the sideline and be there for Raider games. Bill Russell was a Raider fan, and a lot of our listeners in the East Bay should pay tribute to him on Twitter, on social media, and just think of the family. Tremendous, tremendous man, Bill Russell. Arguably the GOAT. He doesn't have to be the greatest NBA player of all time to be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest athletes of all time because of his civil rights dedication. Does that make sense? He doesn't have to be better than Jordan in your mind. But Jordan and racial issues compared to Bill Russell? Please. Tiger Woods, Derek Jeter, please. Bill Russell 
really had to fight the fight because he was living in it. 702-365-9200. Raymond Chester tomorrow. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate on how to bet the preseason. Anybody out there going to throw a few bucks on the Raiders to win a preseason game? Jeff Sherman will join us tomorrow. And all of our proud partners, including Salmon Ash, SalmonAshLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. We appreciate Salmon Ash helping us get to Canton, Ohio, to give you exclusive team broadcasts of the Las Vegas Raiders. When I have conversations with great players of the past, like Mel Plunk, I mean, he says he was a nightmare. A nightmare. And you couldn't contain him. You just hoped that he, you know, they didn't throw his way. And I felt like that was really the only, you know, people or persons that could stop Cliff was the quarterback or the play caller who didn't target him. JT, as we continue on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation, 920 AM, the summer at Cliff Branch, not wrapping up, maybe slowing down for us here on the radio, but we leave for Canton on Wednesday. I'll leave on Wednesday and be back on Sunday, and then we'll be back on Monday with all of our stories, our recap, and then we'll get ready for the second preseason game. So busy time here, proud to work at this station, Raider Nation Radio. Great to see so many teammates out at practice covering these stories looking at the roster and figuring out what's going to happen with this team as the countdown to the Charger game in L.A. is sooner than expected. So today was going to be very heavy on Deshaun Watson, really heavy, and I knew that last night when I was on the radio doing this when the news broke that the judge, Judge Robinson, was going to make a decision today. So I saw this coming. I didn't get it right, as I've been saying. I thought it would be a year. I'm shocked that it's six games. We've been talking about that a lot. The passing of Bill Russell is a big story, and I thought the Raiders put out a very eloquent and nice statement because he was a part of the Raider family. As I said earlier in the show, to see Bill Russell on the sideline multiple times in Oakland with Joe Morgan and to see those two interact and to be 10 feet away from him and to be around him in San Antonio when LeBron James lost to Tim Duncan, I didn't know him. He was very intimidating but a great man and one of the greatest civil rights leaders in sports history. And he deserves several days of discussion here as we bring in former Celtic world champion, now a Celtic broadcaster, Brian Scalabrini, kind enough to jump in here. And I appreciate it. Brian, thanks for doing this. And I know you have probably a real heavy heart now. Thanks for coming on. Let's get, let's get into your memory of Bill Russell. I'm sure you have a few. If you can give us a story or two on the impact that he had on your life. Yeah, you know, my best story. Um, so I'm going, I'm, I'm just about to sign with the Boston Celtics from the Nets. And, you know, Bill's, Bill lives in Seattle. I'm from Seattle. So I was hanging out in Seattle. I was taking a flight to, uh, his red-eye flight out to, um, to Boston. And I see Bill Russell in the, uh, you know, like waiting to get on the plane. And sure enough, you know, I sit right next to him. I don't think at the time, because I haven't played for the Celtics yet, he didn't know who I was. But, you know, once I introduced him, I introduced myself, I'm playing for the Celtics next year. Oh, yeah, I know you. I've seen you play. And um, pretty much, like, think about it. I'm on a red-eye flight with Bill Russell, and he's he is talking 
the whole night through. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I was a point in time where I'm thinking he's got to go to sleep at this point, and he just kept going and story after story, story about Wilt Chamberlain, story about his strategies against Wilt Chamberlain, stories about you know like his decision to go to the Olympics, and then you know like having you know coming in late with the Celtics. And, you know, like everything that he's like kind of went through and we just had like a basically on a flight on a red eye flight with our light on and everybody else uh, was sleeping. And and, he, and he's just basically just like spitting incredible knowledge to the way that he approached his life, the way that he approached his his career. And that was like the first time I've had interaction with him. And then from then on, when I was when I was with the Celtics, he would always be around. And um, the, the number one thing that you just get from him is. Like he talks about how Celtic pride and what it means to put on that uniform and what it means. And he was big into his teammates and he was big mm-hmm. into playing for the, you know, his brother on the left and right of him. It was, it, he was so his teammate and, and his, and you know, like I've got the, a really good chance to meet Tommy Heinsohn during uh, the time that I was doing Celtic broadcast. And Tommy would talk about Bill Russell and the stories and Tommy would talk about the challenges that Bill Russell had you know, with the fans and how the, his teammate, like the whole entire Celtic team would back Bill Russell in any environment going through, um, you know, racial issues, trying to get into restaurants. If, if you weren't going to let Bill in, you're not going to let any of us in. We're not going to eat here. We'll never come back again. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how good he was as a winner, how hard he played every single night, how much he was about his team and what he had to go through as a man just to do all that. And that's, um, Really, really, really an incredible person. I, I'm, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to know him, you know, in the ways that um, from the first time I met him on that cross-country flight to all the times that he was around, you know, the the, uh, the Boston Celtics during our run. Brian Scalabrini, sorry, guys. That's a great story. It's a re- great connection for you for the rest of your life, for your legacy with your family and friends. And to know about his civil rights background and how difficult it was and Brian, I was going to talk about this, too. You know, your cross-country flight when he played, when you looked at the trains and the buses and the way they were getting around and how they had to compete in those circumstances back in the day, the lack of money they had, even though they were a dynasty. I mean, this guy was not only a pioneer on his way to 11 championships, he played in the most difficult era on top of it, having Correct. to go up against Wilt. And all it was hard. It was just much harder than the modern NBA player has to deal with and you know i think you sum that up this is a guy when he started off his run it wasn't easy yeah and that's and that's why like listen we're all like we're all prisoners of our own moment right and Mm -hmm. we want to have debates of this guy and that guy and who's the who's the greatest of all time but uh jt you nailed it like think about it Tommy Heinsohn and this and that team with Bill Russell, like we were, we had a game one day and the Celtics were on a tough stretch. I think it was something like seven games in ten nights, and they brought up a schedule of the of the uh, maybe it was the '59 Celtics. They had ten games in eleven nights and in ten different cities, and even their home games, they went on the road to play in Hartford. They went on the road to play in Maryland. It was a home game for the Celtics. So, like, when you talk about, like, the eras, or J.J. Redick brings up the plumbers and firemen and all that, like, we're ignoring, like, the challenges of what these guys had to do. So there was a – Tommy said one time that they had to take a 
for them to get to the game on a back-to-back, first it was a train, then it was a bus, but the bus didn't go to where it needed to. Then they had a hitchhike five miles just to get to the hotel. And that was like, and everyone just did it. And people would just pick up the Celtics on the side of the road. And that was like, all right, let's go. We got to get you guys to the game. And people would know the schedule and like get a chance to talk to the Celtics. So they would drive their cars and guys would jump in the back of pickup trucks. Like when you compare that now to the no more, you know, like guys complaining about back-to-backs and guys complaining about like you, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and disagree that the skill level today is at an all-time grade. But that's like really ignoring the challenges that they had to face back in the day. And I think that as a group, I hope we do a better job of recognizing without them doing that, without Bill Russell going through what Bill Russell went through, this league does not look like it does right now. Without that dynasty, without, without um, all the challenges that he had to face, the NBA looks a lot different right now. The money looks a lot different. Like the lifestyle people look a lot different. And that's why that comment about Bob Cousy and the plumbers and firemen, yeah. that really like got me the wrong way because that's Good. not recognizing Good. all the challenges that go, that go into that. Oh, yeah. Brian Scalabrina. This is a great conversation. Part of the Celtic broadcast, our teammate on Sirius XM, uh, the work he does on NBA radio. Uh, nailing this as he knew Bill Russell, you know, it's tough to put. I, I like doing lists, and I, I'm, I have no problem comparing eras. I can compare Bonds to Babe Ruth. And I, I don't have a problem with that. It's not science. It's not, you know, fighting cancer, being a police officer or a fireman. It's just talking sports. And with Russell, uh, you get these Mount Rushmores or all-time lists, and no one wants to touch Jordan. No one wants to touch Kareem, which I don't think they should. And then there's this big debate about Wilt and Russell. And you're a big man, and we were talking about this. Russell beat Wilt more so. It was kind of dominant against him, but Wilt's stats were dominant over Russell individually. It's just great that we saw those two NBA heroes compete against each other so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have uh, like, if, if, if you put any of your all-time great teams, like, and, and you, you, you can go a lot of different ways, right? You could say mm-hmm. Kareem, right? You could say Kareem. You could say Wilt and the way that he played. But I and, and you can say, okay, well, the era is very different now than it is back then. Like, you can make that argument. But I'm here to tell you, like, no matter what, and this is like, there's not enough footage of Bill Russell. And you go back and look, he was a freak of nature. He yeah. was athletic for now. He wasn't just, you know, you can, like, man, the athlete's size, strength, whatever. You could say that about some guys back in the day. You, and a lot of people can make that argument. The one thing you can't argue is Bill Russell was a athletic specimen. And mm-hmm. and not only was could he could he run super fast, jump high, endless motor, and he did all that and those and, and those challenges that we just talked about with the scheduling and everything like that. I cannot imagine what he would be like today. Like I can he would just his energy would be so ridiculously contagious that it would be hard for you to, you know, game plan against a guy like that. I always have him in my top five as my center. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lineup like um, I got Magic Jordan, uh, Bird, LeBron, and Bill Russell because I just wow. like you, Bill Russell with that group or with any of these high-flying groups or as a rim runner, as a defensive guy, as a guy who would block a shot and run the floor. Like he's going he's gonna to be able to play in any era and make it an uh, impact because how could he not? Everywhere he's gone, he's made the hugest impact on winning. 
And another thing made a big impact on his teammates loved him. And when you have guys like that, it makes a big, big difference. And that a lot of times that contributes to winning. And uh, you know, I, I like I remember just uh, someone someone challenged me to go to YouTube and watch Bill Russell highlights. And mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, I was blown away by the athleticism and the speed at which he played. And you know, like like my man my man Tommy Heinsohn would always say it to me. Bill Russell was the fastest guy up the court. He won every race. I don't care if you're a guard, you're a forward, you're a center. He is beating you up the floor. So you tell me, Mr. Scalabrini, that's what he used to call me, right? You tell me, Mr. Scalabrini, what big man could stop Will Chamberlain and sprint the floor and beat guards up the floor? I didn't have an answer for him. I really didn't. There was not a single guy I could bring up that could, you know, guard a Will Chamberlain type of dominant force and beat guards up the floor. There's just not another guy like that. And, that's where we kind of ignore because, it's, you know, we don't have the footage. We don't have the game. We don't have the Instagram of what Bill Russell did. But the guy was off the charts. Any era, he would have dominated. Wrapping it up with Brian Scalabrini, a couple more quick ones, Brian. The way he tipped the ball, blocked the ball, but tipped it and kept it in bounds. As a big man who's played and you did that at every level, you know, you have a great block. Ball goes out of bounds, three rows. Russell is blocking shots, tipping it, tipping it, tipping it, and starting a fast break. And the way he switched, he came out, he could guard everybody on the court. Is that where his legacy truly lies? Could it be, could it be fair to say he's the greatest defensive player of all time because of the Wilt era, the 11 rings, and just the way he rebounded, blocked shots, and played defense? 100%. I don't think anybody yeah. can argue that. I don't think, like, when you talk about the versatility, be out to be able to guard on the perimeter. Here's, here's one for you. Like, name big men that sprint back, hustle back on defense and run down guys and right block back. shots. Like, there's just not. Like, I don't – you can go down these lists of this guy and that guy. You know, I love Shaquille O'Neal. I really do. And I love I love watching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar growing up. Like, man, this guy is unbelievable. But there's just a, a level of his defensive intensity that you're, you're really hard-pressed to find guys – doing that nowadays it's just it just doesn't happen and i keep bringing and, and tommy brought that up and i it kind of blew me away at the time when he brought it up but like i said like the athleticism the versatility blocking shots running down uh running running the fast break finishing on the break like there's a lot that goes into that endless motor relentless ultra ultra competitive like those things are are what his legacy is and I don't. I, in my in my opinion, we'll never have another player like that. Like we just won't. It's just no. not. It's not the way that the game is going to be played. It's not the way that uh, guys are going to be raised. It's not. It's just not going to be like that anymore. And um, it's really sad. But but one thing one thing to to note about that is his the the winning record. And I, I brought this up earlier. The teammates, right? It, it's just mm-hmm. when. Like the way that they, they, every one of his teammates talk about Bill Russell or stood up for Bill Russell is really remarkable. And um, I think that's probably what should go down as his greatest legacy. Well, thank you, Brian. It sounds like you're celebrating his life. 88 years old. This isn't a tragedy. This isn't Kobe passing someone young. This is a guy who had the greatest life. And you're an NBA player and broadcaster to look at a life and say, oh my God, can you imagine from the Congressional Medal of Freedom? to the Olympic gold medal, to two national championships, to 11 rings and the all-stars and then all the great teams. I'm happy. It sounds like you're in a really good place celebrating your friendship and what you knew about Bill Russell. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy that I got a chance 
to meet him. And not yeah. only that, I got a chance to sit down and learn from other people that got a chance to play with him. And, you know, for all the players, you know, including my man, JJ Reddick, just sit down and talk to some of the old timers and see what they have, listen to some of their stories. And, uh, not saying he doesn't know about stuff, but it's, it is really interesting to get a perspective of what those guys went through. Thank you, Brian. Really enjoyed the conversation. I'll remember it for a long time. All the best to you. Same, same to you. Thank you. Very interesting conversation. Thanks to Brian again on that plane ride with Bill Russell. Man, you know, one story in your life. I mentioned Jim Brown, who was best friends, great friends with Bill Russell. The time I you know, did this exclusive with Jim for four or five years, and I would go up to his house, and I brought my dad once. And this is one of the, I think, the number one sports, sports civil rights leader of all time is Jackie Robinson. He broke the color barrier, what he dealt with. We all know that. 1A is Jim Brown. What Jim Brown accomplished in his life with American, what he did to help Ali, organizing, helping Ali, and bringing in Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Rayford Johnson, all of those athletes. So when I went up to Jim Brown's house with my dad, and we sat outside and had a nice tea and looked over. He's got one of the nicest and most expensive pieces of real estate in all of Los Angeles, and it's decorated, and it looks like, last time I was there, it's something out of the late 60s and 70s, but the view is incredible. He lives over Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. All the celebrities live under him because Jim's had that property since he was an iconic football player. But Jim and Bill were really tight, and Joe Morgan was really tight with Bill from the Oakland years early on. So that all came together for me, and wow, Bill Russell, the Raiders, and what he meant. To see him with the Raider hat on the sideline of a Raider game, we've seen that with Magic Johnson, who has a heavy heart. Bill Russell is part of the Silver and Black family, and I'm going to be talking about him a bunch. If we didn't have a short week with travel, I would have been spending most of the week talking to people about Bill Russell and the impact that he's had, not only on sports and championships, but on civil rights. All right, when we come back, I got a big phone call last night. The biggest guy in media called into my show and had a lot to say on Bill Russell and how we should all be grateful when we continue on the flagship. Hey, quickly, I want to thank all of our partners. I'm going to do it heavy because they're sending us to Canton. I can't get to Canton without Remy Martin, without Virgin, without Resorts World, Grimaldi, Sam and Ash, PTs, all of our partners here. And we've grown a lot of them here over the last couple of years. Thank you so much. For helping the show, helping the show get out to Canton, Ohio here from Lotus Broadcasting. We really appreciate it. As we wrap it up, coming to the top of the hour, JT on the flagship of the Silver and Black. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Cliff has just as good as numbers as anybody. I mean, here's a guy, his first Super Bowl was with us in 77. Then on um, for a couple more. And played well. And played great. Had great years. And he matches with anybody. You know, because he he did. I, I wouldn't just say it. You know, he deserves to be in Hall of Fame. JT, as we continue on and we wrap it up here tomorrow, Another show, I'll be out at the facility, we'll turn around, we'll come back, and then Wednesday, Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, will be in for me. And then Thursday, we have the game, I'll be hosting the pregame show from the Raiders broadcast booth. 
I'll probably meet Jason Horowitz before that, the new voice of the Raiders at some point in Canton, or maybe I'll meet him there. But congratulations to Jason again. He'll have the call with Lincoln Kennedy. I'll host the pregame show there. Vinny Bonsignor is going to join me. And it's just going to be a nice pregame show with Eric Allen as we get you ready for the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night primetime. Set your DVRs, get ready, and as always, listen on Raider Nation Radio and our partners here on Compass Media Network. So last night, doing the show from my home studio, look down at my phone, get a text message from the king of sports media. Right now, there's only one, Stephen A. Smith from ESPN First Take. He heard me talking about Bill Russell and wanted to chime in. Here's our conversation. It's a pleasure to welcome Stephen A. Smith to Mad Dog Sports Radio from ESPN. Stephen A., big moment My on brother. Bill Russell. I'm, I want to hear what you have to say. Thanks for doing this. How are you? Well, it's uh, obviously anytime you lose such an iconic figure like this, um, it hurts. It stings when you think about what the NBA is, what it's grown into, and then you think about the people directly responsible, believe it or not, just a couple of hours ago I got off the phone with Magic Johnson, who was obviously sad about, you know, we were talking about something different because he had called me about something different. But obviously, you know, he was a bit melancholy, to say the least, if not sad, flat out because of the loss of Bill Russell. When you think about what the NBA is and all that it has become, it has to start from somewhere. Its inception begins from some point. And in the NBA, it obviously is with Bill Russell. Uh, you know, an 11-time champion in 13 years, eight straight titles, back-to-back titles as a player coach, being a black man during the civil rights era and doing the things that he did um, in terms of his leadership, not just as a player, uh, not just as a coach, but as the face of a franchise in a city as contentious as Boston was during that period of time. You just can't say enough about the phenomenal figure that he that he was. And when you think about the Mount Rushmore of basketball, certainly we can look at a lot of talents that exist in the league since since he's been in there. And you can make an argument from a talent perspective, but nobody in the history of the game has a better resume than he has. And nobody did it having to endure what he endured. So it's an incredible loss for the entire basketball world, uh, but we just honor and praise and revere this iconic figure that will be sorely missed, but we're incredibly thankful for all that he's done for the game of basketball and for the world because he helped make the world a better place. Stephen A. Smith joins us. So how do we tell the story to younger generations? Your friend Mike Wilbaum was on earlier tonight on ESPN talking about how intimidating it was. If you didn't know him, how would you even go to meet this guy if you didn't know him already? And then you talk about what he dealt with from a racial perspective in the city where he was winning championships. I think the younger generation really needs to understand this part of the story. It's a complex individual because when you watch Bill Russell in his latter years, yeah, you saw a smile and you saw a laugh, but for the most part, you saw an incredibly serious individual that was clearly scarred. And I think that one of the things that you reflect upon, at least in my case, when I think about Bill Russell, 99% of the time, whenever I saw him, it was a simple high and by, and I kept it moving. A couple of times I was lucky enough to have a conversation with this iconic figure. But I think what resonated with me was that I saw a man who was scarred. He wore a, a serious look on his face that was indicative of a man who'd been through an awful lot and an awful lot of stuff that he nor any human being should ever have to endure. And even though he withstood it, 
won anyway, was successful anyway, was a pioneer anyway, was impactful anyway, it doesn't mean that it left him without his scars, both figuratively speaking and literal in certain sense, particularly on a spiritual level, to go through the kind of things that he went through. You just found yourself wishing that the world had been a better place when he was playing and coaching and he would not have had to have gone through that. And what it does is it forces you to reflect on the life that you're living right now, trying to be as good and as decent as you possibly can be. So you're not unfortunate enough or you're not that a human being that ultimately ends up leaving those indelible scars on somebody else's life and their career. You never want the kind of things that happen to Bill Russell to happen to anybody. And I think that that's what you walk away thinking about it. He withstood it. He succeeded in spite of it. But there was no way in hell he should have ever had to endure what he had to endure. So for someone like you who's having this great success in your career and grinded it out and had certain trials and tribulations early in your career, and now you're at this point, as you reflect back on a sport that you cover, and you're covering multiple sports, but predominantly the NBA, when you see what he's gone through, the Mount Rushmore topics, the 11 rings, all of this combined, seeing him, knowing him, 75th all-anniversary team, it really seems like this guy is one of the many pillars that you're able to stand up on top of today. Without question. I don't think I'm where I'm at today if it were not for guys like Bill Russell. I don't think society is where it is today, even though there's a lot that we reflect upon and there's a lot of things that we lament. I don't think there's any question that despite what we're enduring as a society as a whole, that we're a lot better off today than we were many, many years ago. And if it were not for people like Bill Russell, who was willing to fight all the time just for civility, for equal rights, and beyond, you just, uh, where would we be? And so you look at him and, 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 and you know, you just, and I was listening to you uh, driving and you were talking about this and thinking about the modern day athletes and some of the things that they do, some of the things we all do in our society. They didn't have the luxury of doing that. There was no load management. You can't just take days off and be unapologetic about it. You didn't have guaranteed dollars, you know, that would finance not just you, but your generation because of, you know, the kind of money that you were generating for yourself, the kind of money that's afforded to you playing professional basketball in this day and age. He didn't have any of those luxuries, but he facilitated us being able to have those luxuries available to us in this day and age. And for that, our gratitude knows no limits where he's concerned. And I think about it from that standpoint, and that makes him one of those pillars that you were talking about, the Mount Rushmore of all of sports. When you think about basketball, he comes first, not just because of the 11 titles, but the circumstances under which he captured those 11 titles and the things that he was doing, being the first black coach and what have you, back-to-back championships as a player coach, those kind of things. You just can't say enough about the man. Appreciate you listening, always thinking of us and checking in when you have something to say. Greatly appreciate you. All right, my man. Take care. So I think that was really sincere by Stephen A. about this. They didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time on this today because they moved on to Deshaun Watson, which is obvious. This is a big sports day, huge sports day there. But Bill Russell, the reason why Stephen A. Smith could make all that money now. I knew Stephen A. Smith when he wasn't making close to any money. And now look at him. He's the biggest guy in media giving respect to the great Bill Russell. And as we compare eras and the lack of money that Russell made compared to players today, 
the lack of effort or the effort that we see, whatever it's going to be. Just let's give Bill Russell the credit he deserves. Let's give Bill Russell the celebration of life. He lived to 88. And as I said earlier in the show, my dad's 83. Okay, my mom's 81. My dad's 83. And I look back on my life and I say the biggest priority I have now, the number one priority, other than my wife and sons, is my dad and mom. Because it's a limited amount of time. I don't know. I hope my mom and dad live well past 88. You never know. So when you have a life that lives to 88 and it's that big and you can celebrate it, let's do that for Bill Russell and continue to do it. The outpouring is going to be enormous for the greatest American champion of all time in team sports. The greatest American champion, I believe, in American sports history is Michael Phelps with 23 gold medals. That'll never be topped. That will never be topped, but no one's going to win 11 championships in the NBA or any other sport. My guy Yogi Berra won 10. 10 World Series for Yogi. Had to get the Yankee plug in, but Russell's got 11 during one of the most dominant dynasties in sports history. Uh, JT, thanks for listening today, everybody. Again, thanks to all of our proud partners for supporting us on the road to Canton, Ohio. I'll be back out tomorrow. Big crowd showing up at the Internet Mountain Healthcare Performance Center. We'll tell you about practice tomorrow. Hopefully get one more guest on for the summer of Cliff. And then wheels up to Canton, and I hope to see you in Canton, Ohio, the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where Cliff Branch will dominate Canton with his family and friends on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio.